Father, again, you are our king. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and give us insight into what that truly means today as we open your word. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Father, would you guide my tongue? You are worthy to be worshipped. May we worship you now as we meditate on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do we receive blessings from God? I think every one of us here would say that we would rather have than not have blessings of God, right? If it's a matter of either receiving favor from Him or receiving the opposite of His favor, I think we would all say that we want favor from the Lord. Well, how do we receive blessings from God? Let me tell you a little story. It has to do with the, the history of Cornerstone Church. Now, I came in 2007, and Cornerstone Church started meeting for public worship in 2001, so there's a lot of the history of Cornerstone Church that I don't really know. I've been told bits and pieces of it, but there's one interesting piece of it that I want to relate to you now. Uh, many of you know here that Cornerstone Church started off and, and pretty quickly grew to a pretty good size. And then there are some things that happened, and I don't know all the things that happened, and I don't care to necessarily know them or to explain what happened in those years, but some things happened, and people, some people stopped going, and eventually uh, the, the pastor who planted this church went uh, to a different location, where, well, uh, was no longer the pastor here, and then some other people left the church, and, and through all that, the church became fairly small, and there was a meeting that happened between the leadership of Cornerstone Church and the denominational leaders in our district. And at that meeting, the denominational leaders, so I'm told, said to the leadership of Cornerstone Church, do you want to keep your doors open? Do you want to keep meeting for public worship or not? And, and it was a, a difficult question in some ways because there was, there was a lot of people doing a lot of the work of the church and getting kind of tired doing it. And, and there was a it was a legitimate question, and the, the answer was kind of difficult. But at that meeting, one of the denominational leaders said, just so you know, if you decide to close your doors, we'll probably come back here in a couple of years and try another startup evangelical free church. And upon hearing that, the leadership of Cornerstone Church were emboldened, and they said, well, if the district is supporting us, then we would like to keep meeting. So either at that meeting or, or shortly after that meeting, I for those of you that were here during these times, you can correct my history uh, that I have gotten wrong. But um, shortly after that time, then they decided to, to hire a pastor. They said, yeah, we'd like to keep meeting. There was an interim pastor at that time, but they made the decision then that, yes, we would like to hire a full-time pastor. And, and eventually that process uh, led to the, the hiring of me, and praise the Lord, I'm very thankful for that. Um, but one of the interesting conversations that I had when I first got here with one person on the leadership team it was just a, a sincere, honest question that I really appreciated from this leader. And the question was, is God's blessing on us? And, you know, I was the newcomer, but I had heard some of the history, and I, I, I gathered there was a, a bit of... Behind this question was this, this thought of, well, we, we saw God bless us in the beginning, and then we saw a difficult period of time. And now we just want to know, is the blessing of God on us or not? That was the question that was asked to me shortly after I got here. And I'm going to wait to give you my answer. Because I want to pose the question more broadly first off. How do we as the people of God receive blessings from God? That's the question. 
To answer that question, we're going to look at King Saul today. We've been looking at 1 Samuel, our sermon series for these, these first few months of 2013. It's 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 17. We skipped a few places in there, but we're almost done now. We'll be done next Sunday. So just a little reminder to those of you that have been wanting to read through these chapters, uh, I'd encourage you to get on that this week. But the reason I picked 1 Samuel as a sermon series is because it's a study in contrast. In it, we see people who were really walking closely, faithfully with God, but also we see people who made poor decisions and suffered the consequences for it. And it's just been so encouraging to me to analyze what went right and what went wrong there so that we can learn from what happened. And the contrast that we're going to see between today and next Sunday is a very stark one between King Saul and King David. Now, a little bit of context here. What we looked at last week was that Israel had demanded a king. And it wasn't God's timing. It wasn't, they didn't ask for a king the way that God wanted them to ask for a king. So the people, there was something wrong in their hearts, and they went to God and they said, God, we want a king, just like all the other nations have. We want a king to lead us in our battles. And, and God was a little frustrated with them. And, and it said in Hosea, actually, God gave them a king in his anger. So God gave them what they asked for. So now, instead of having God to go out and fight their battles for them, God said, okay, you want a king to do that? I'll give you your king. And and eventually what happened was Saul was uh, set up as king. But Saul was supposed to remember one really important thing. He was supposed to remember that the Lord is king, not Saul. And in chapter 12, 14, this is what the word of the Lord was through Samuel to to the king and to the people. It says, If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. I love that. If you do this and this and this and this, good. Good will come to you. Now today we're going to see how Saul did with that. We're going to look at the first 14 verses in chapter 13, and then also I'm just going to mention a few verses in chapter 15 as well. And I want us to learn from Saul's mistakes. I want us to find the answer to the question, how do we receive blessing from God? Okay, so starting off in verse 1. And you'll notice, uh, I'm reading from the NIV. If you're reading from a different translation, this verse is going to sound very different. In the NIV it says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Now, this verse is notoriously difficult. Uh, It says something in Hebrew, but we're just not exactly sure. And whether that's a translation issue, because maybe it's just the way that it's worded in Hebrew, we just don't really know what it says. Or it could be a transmission issue. It could be that somewhere down the years, as it was copied and copied and copied, that this verse may have been obscured. Or it actually could be that the writer intended to leave some blanks in there. In fact, does anybody have a translation in in your Bible where it just leaves it blank? Yeah, Dan, you do. What does it say? It says, Saul reigned for blank years as king. Um, And that that may very well be what they intended. But the truth is, we just simply don't know what exactly this verse means. We know from the New Testament in Acts 13 that Saul reigned for about 40 years. We don't know what verse 1 says here exactly. And and there's actually lots of verses in the Bible where if you read your footnotes, it'll say every once in a while, the Hebrew for this phrase is uncertain. Basically, they're saying, we don't know what this verse means. Now, should that bother us? Uh, I'm I'm taking a little side trip here, by the way. But should it bother us when we come across a place in our Bible and the most educated people in the world can't figure out what it means? 
Well, my quick answer to that question is no. Because, yes, it's, it's true that there are some that have been lost, either through translation or transmission. But overall, what you'll see here and many, many other places in the Bible is that even in those places, God's message gets across to us. So that the meaning of chapter 13 here will not be obscured, even though we don't know exactly what verse 1 says. So I, I'm about to end this little side trip here, but I just want to say that we can trust our Bibles. And yes, there are some places where we may have lost a little something, but still, I believe that this is God's word, and he speaks clearly to us through it. Okay. Let's move on then. Verses 2 through 4. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Now, Geba was an important city in Israel. It was right near their capital. And it was a city at this time that was under the thumb of the Philistines. You see, the Philistines, who were the neighboring enemies, they had come in and basically set up camp, set up an outpost right in the middle of Israel. And Jonathan looked at that and he said, hey, that shouldn't be. I'm going to go up and attack that thing. And, and that's what Jonathan did. And after the battle, um, Saul let all Israel know what happened. And obviously the people of Philistia heard what happened there as well. And really what happened was that Jonathan picked a fight <coughs> with this huge neighboring enemy. And the Philistines weren't too happy about it. Let's look how they responded in verses 5 through 7. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. So the Philistines mustered this huge fighting force with soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And the Israelites saw it, and they were terrified, quaking with fear, it says. Now think back to the earlier parts of 1 Samuel with me. What, what happened with the Philistines in the earlier parts of the book? Well, sometimes the Philistines defeated the Israelites in battle because the Israelites weren't honoring the Lord. Other times, the Israelites routed the Philistines because they were trusting in the Lord. See, it, it had everything to do with their attitude toward God. Um, and, and the reason for that is that the Philistines were powerful, and you probably would say they were more powerful than Israel, but they certainly weren't more powerful than the Lord. It says in, in chapter 7, verse 13, as Samuel was leading Israel, so this is one of the good times in their history, it said, Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Now, in, in King Saul's time, God had basically said, well, you wanted your king to go out and fight for you, so let's go see what your king can do. And, and how was it going for Saul and his people? Well, it said that they were terrified. They were quaking with fear. Apparently, God let King Saul lead this battle. Now, let me stop here. I read for you chapter 12, verse 14 earlier. And in that verse, God basically said, okay, you shouldn't have asked for a king, but you did. 
Now hold on here. I'm going to give you a chance. If you and the king will follow the Lord, then it will go well for you. So the key question now, as Saul is facing this attack from the Philistines, is will he fear the Lord? Will he follow the Lord and do what the Lord asks him to do? Well, let's see what Saul did. Verses 8 through 12. He, Saul, waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Now verse 8 is supposed to remind us of chapter 10, verse 8, three chapters earlier, where Samuel said to Saul, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Now, there's a lot of theological debate on this one, but, but I believe that there's actually, and this is a change of opinion for those of you that were in Bible study with me. I changed my mind. See, I'm not just always set in my ways. I can change and learn too, but uh, I believe that there's actually a long gap now between chapter 10 and chapter 13 so that we're not talking about the same seven-day period in, in those chapters. We're talking about a different seven-day period. But the pattern is that apparently Samuel, not just once in his life, but at least another time here in chapter 13, said to Saul, wait for me for seven days at Gilgal, and when I come there, I will sacrifice. Samuel is the one who was the high priest, so he was the one to offer the sacrifice. Saul knew this, and Saul was waiting on the seventh day here in the verses that we looked at. Saul was supposed to wait seven days, but on the seventh day he got a little bit itchy. And he only ended up waiting 6.9 days. And uh, Saul kind of looked at what was going on around him. He said, okay, my men are scared. Uh, The Philistines are attacking me. Samuel hasn't come. And I haven't even sought the Lord's favor yet. So basically what Saul says, I know what I'll do. I, I know what I want so I'll try to get the Lord on my side. The Lord had already told Saul what to do, but Saul kind of came up with his own plan here. And he said, I'll figure things out here. He came up with four excuses. Used human reasoning to try to get what he thought was best. And just a side note here, sometimes we come up with our pro-con list. Sometimes when we're making a decision, you know, you, you get the... You, you ever make that chart pro, con, you put a line in between them, you just start putting reasons down on both sides. And sometimes you can get one side of that list that just looks a whole lot longer than the other. And you look at that and say, wow, it looks like it makes a lot of sense. But sometimes, and I would say anytime it happens this way, there's only one thing that matters on that list, and that's what does God want? So Saul had his reasons for doing what he was doing, but he didn't do what God asked him to do. Saul feared a lot of things. He feared the Philistines. He feared his men, that they were leaving him. He didn't want to lose them. You could say that Saul feared everyone but God. So Saul, thinking that something needed to be done, felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. 
the Hebrew of that verse indicated that Saul thought he was strengthening himself. He actually thought he was kind of stepping up to the plate here. He was manning up. Something needed to be done, so he did it. It might sound like good logic, but there was a big problem. And the problem was that God told Saul not to do it. Saul was trying, as he said, to seek the Lord's favor, but in fact he did the exact opposite. And not only that, but he wouldn't accept responsibility for it. He tried to blame the circumstances around him. Samuel, you were late. I would have waited for you, but you were late. So it may have looked like he was trying to honor the Lord, but really, he was doing the opposite. Reminds me of a story, uh, not a story that I'm proud of, but my, uh, probably about my second year on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ in Wisconsin. Maybe I'll blame it on the fact that I was in Wisconsin. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do that. Uh, I was in charge of a month-long campus-wide advertising program that we were doing. We, were, we had this idea to, uh, to do a bunch of advertising on campus to get people to come to our weekly meetings and Bible studies and things like that. And I was in charge of it. And one step along the way, my director asked me to work for four hours on a specific part of the project. And, and I, I was kind of thinking in my mind, it, it's not going to take me four hours. I can do it faster than that. But, but I didn't say anything to him. I just kind of said, mm-hmm, sure, yeah. You know how you kind of say that under your breath? Yeah. Um, so I, I went to work that next week, and I, I did what I thought was a good job, and it didn't take me four hours. And I just stopped when I was finished. And when my director met with me, uh, shortly after that, he said, uh, did you work for four hours on the project? And I said, well, here's what I did. And I showed him this and this and this. He said, okay, that looks good, but did you work for four hours on the project? And I had to be honest with him. I said, no, I didn't. Now, do you think my director was honored with the way that I disobeyed him in that? He, he, the answer is no, he wasn't. Um, and, and I look back at that now, and, and really the only reason for that, for my actions there, was rebellion. I knew what he asked me to do, and I knew that when I had finished it, short of four hours, that I was disobeying him by not continuing to do more work on it. Now, getting back to Saul, he he should stand as a warning for us here. God had told him what to do and what not to do. He knew it, and he didn't do it. He didn't follow God's ways. And let's look at what Samuel said to Saul in response in verses 13 and 14. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Samuel wastes no time. He says, you acted foolishly. And it's the next part that's really helpful here where he says, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. See, the problem was that Saul didn't have a regard for God's word. He feared man more than he feared God. (coughs) Saul didn't listen to the command. It says both in in verse 13 and 14 that he didn't keep the Lord's command. Now this again illustrates what I think to be the key verse of 1 Samuel. And uh, and we've got some candy bars. We've got some candy bars that were donated to us for the purpose of uh, me giving out these little questions that I have for you. And uh, So I'm going to give out two parts of the question. Who can tell me what the verse is that I have picked out as the key verse of this, of 1 Samuel so far? It's early on in the book of 1 Samuel. Does anybody know what it is? 
It's in chapter 2. Okay, all right, you got it, Jer uh, Joy. <laughs> Okay, it is 2.30. Good. Okay, you get the first crack here at Candy Bar. And then I want somebody, can anybody quote it for me? It starts off, God speaking, those who, those who honor, who's, who, I heard somebody started to say it. Was it Connie? Those who honor me, I will honor. Are you reading it? <laughs> okay, you started it. Those who honor me, I will honor. What's the second half of it? Anybody know? But those who despise me will be... Good job, Millie. Okay, you got it. I heard Faye getting it, too. So. <laughs> Faye, do you want a Hershey's? Almonds or not? Okay, there you go. Good catch. All right. Chapter 2, verse 30. I think the more that I look at this, you know, I, I kind of picked this out when I was reading through chapter 2 as a key verse of that chapter, but the more I read the book of First Samuel, the more I think that it just kind of stands over everything and says, this is how God responds to his people. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. What did Saul do here in chapter 13? Did he honor or dishonor God? He dishonored him. What did God say? He said, I'm going to take your kingdom away from you. In verse 14, we learn that God would choose another king. Now, it's no mystery who that king is going to be. It's going to be King David. We'll look at him next week. We learn in the New Testament, again in Acts 13, that not only was David a man after God's own heart, but that David would do what God wanted him to do. And again, in stark contrast to Saul. Saul said he wanted to seek the Lord, but when push came to shove, he went his own way, came up with his own plans. He waited 6.9 days, not 7. And sometimes 99% is just as good as 0%. I was thinking about that, you know, um, giving a tithe. You know, you can, you can work, you can earn the money, you can decide to give the, money, you give the money, you can write out the check, you can bring the check with you to church, and when the offering basket comes, if you don't put it in, well, what good is it? And it, it's like that with a lot of things, that if our hearts aren't fully committed to the Lord in what we're doing, and there's that little part of us that's holding back, we're dishonoring the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to do everything 100% perfect in our lives, but it's a hard issue here that we need to deal with, that God wants wholehearted devotion. And this leads me to my big idea today. We need to honor the Lord by obeying Him. We need to honor the Lord by obeying Him. And by the way, obedience isn't just an Old Testament thing. We might have this idea that, oh, in the Old Testament there were all these laws, but in the New Testament there's grace. Well, I've actually heard it said that there are more commands in the New Testament than there are laws in the Old Testament. And that God still, even though it's the New Covenant, even, even though Jesus has come and brings forgiveness for our sins, that God still wants us to obey Him. So this isn't just an Old Testament big idea. Our big idea is a timeless one, that we need to honor the Lord by obeying him. Saul failed the test in chapter 13. Well, like I said, I wanted to look at a little bit of chapter 15 as well. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to chapter 15, and we're just going to look at a few parts of that. And what we see right away in chapter 15 is God giving Saul another chance. And, and we saw that last week as well with the people of Israel. They disobeyed God, but he gave them another chance. 
Saul in chapter 13 disobeyed, but look in, in verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent out to anoint you as king over his people Israel, so now listen to the message from the Lord. God was giving him another chance to follow. And, and I just think we have to deduce from this that God is a merciful God, and he gives second chances. Praise the Lord for that. Now the command given here in chapter 1 is that Saul was supposed to attack and totally destroy the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites were people who had dishonored God for many hundreds of years. So it might sound like a harsh thing when God says you're supposed to kill them, all the people, and their animals. It might sound harsh, but it's a nation that was under the, the judgment of God and he finally wanted to bring his wrath on them for their disobedience. So, so God said to Saul, totally destroy them, the people and the animals. And we know from this chapter that Saul understood the command. He knew what he was supposed to do. But in the battle, Saul spared the king and the best of the animals. Samuel was told all of this by the Lord. And then Samuel confronted Saul. So here we have the, the prophet Samuel coming to the disobedient Saul. And in verse 13, listen to what Saul says. The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But then Samuel's answer is pretty classic in, in verse 14. He says, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? If it killed all the animals, how come I hear mooing? It's like the kid with chocolate all over his face saying, I didn't eat the cupcake. And, and Saul has the audacity to say, The Lord bless you. I did what God told me to do. Bah. No, you didn't. Repeatedly in chapter 15, the verdict is, verdict is that Saul didn't listen to God. He thought he had a better plan. He thought, well, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll destroy the people, but I'll leave some of the best animals so that we can take them as plunder, and I'll spare their king so that he can be my trophy of victory. But the verdict is that Saul didn't listen to the Lord. In fact, it says that he rejected God's word. In verse 15, 23, it says, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So in chapter 13, God said, Eventually I'm going to take your kingdom away. And in chapter 15, he says, Your kingdom is torn away from you. And this all happened because Saul wouldn't obey God. Saul probably would have put it differently. He probably would have said that he had just partial obedience. Or he had an obedience issue. But really, what it was, was disobedience. And I think that this is something that we who are regular church-going Christians can struggle with. That we know that we're supposed to look spiritual, so sometimes we might try to appear more spiritual than we are. Might even lie to people about the things that we're doing in our walk with God. Or at least try to cover up the things that we're not doing that we know that we should be doing. And we might think that that's a, a spiritual thing to do, to try to cover up those things. But God knows. And, and not that we try to be legalistic about this, but what we do try to do is to honor God by obeying Him. So instead of spending our energy trying to cover up the things that we're not doing, it seems to me that we should be spending our energy obeying God. So Saul wanted blessing from God, but he wasn't willing to obey him. So again, the verdict is in. Even though he looked the part of king and the people liked him and he had some military success, 
The verdict is in. And the theologian Robert Bergen said, Saul was a spiritual rebel against the Lord's word. Even though it looks like Saul wanted God on his side, the verdict is that he would not submit himself to the word of the Lord. His task, as we clearly saw in 12.14, was to follow the Lord. Saul was the king of Israel, but he was supposed to acknowledge the Lord as king. He would not acknowledge the authority of the Lord in his life. And I want you to hang on to that thought, because that's where we're going to go in a moment. But what I want to do now is I want to, I want to turn the tables now, and I want to apply this to our hearts. I want to investigate how we're doing in this area. I asked the question at the beginning, how do we receive blessings from God? So how do we? We receive blessings from God as we honor Him, right? What does 1 Samuel 2.30 say? Those who honor me, I will honor. Do I get a candy bar for that? So That was from memory. We honor God by obeying Him. Saul should have stopped and said, God, what do you want me to do? Samuel's not here yet. Um, what should I do? Well, he should have stopped and remembered, oh yeah, God already told me what to do. Wait for Samuel. Instead, Saul went his own way. He pretended that he was the Lord of his own life. Now, I want to use the throne analogy again here. I've, I've used this one many times here. And I have a reason for saying this and saying it and repeating it again. Because I want you all to know it, but I also want this to be something that you can use as you're talking with your friends or your co-workers about what it means to follow the Lord. Metaphorically speaking, every one of us was born with a throne in our hearts. And every single one of us assumed that that throne was created for us. And one of the very first acts that we did as human beings is that we climbed up onto that throne and we started calling our own shots in our lives. We pretended that we were king or queen of our own lives, that we were our own Lord. That's what it means for us to be human, fallen people. Every one of us is like that. But that throne was not created for us. It was created for Jesus Christ. And what we need to do is to get off that throne and invite Jesus to take his rightful place on that throne as Savior and as Lord, as our King. And then we live the rest of our lives in submission to Him. That's the Christian life. Receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and then living every moment of the rest of our days according to the truth of the fact that He is still Lord. Now it's difficult to live that out. And I would want to ask, how would have we done if we were Saul? If the same circumstances applied to us, what would have our faith been like? Would have we sought after our own ways and tried to fix things ourselves? Or would have we trusted in the word of the Lord? And you see, that's the key distinction between people who know the Lord and people who don't. People who know the Lord trust him. Know that his word is good and that he'll make good on it and that our lives actually go best when we follow him according to his ways. When we sin, we don't try to cover it up like Saul did. We confess it. There's power in confessing our sins. There's forgiveness there. So what should we do? We should honor the Lord by obeying Him. That's how we receive blessings from God. Now, I mentioned at the beginning this story about the history of Cornerstone Church. And in, in 2007, I was asked the question by somebody on our leadership team. And again, it was a good question. I, I, I'm so glad that he asked it. But the question was, 
is God blessing us or not? And again, there was, there was some history of, in the church there. There were some things that had gone wrong. There were some things that had gone really well also. But the question, is God blessing us? I'll give you my answer to that question. It, I gave it in our annual report, February 3rd of 2008. I wrote, God blesses people who live by faith. As we worship God, love each other, study God's word, pray, and share our faith, and those are basically just our core values, as we do those things, God will bless us. It may not always be in the ways we expect, but God will bless those who are fully committed to him. So my question wasn't to look back and to say, well, what have we done? Have we done it right? Have we done it wrong? My question, my answer was to look forward and to say, we will have the blessing of the Lord if we humble ourselves before him and do what his word has told us to do. If we commit ourselves to knowing his word, to worshiping him, God will bless us. And now as we look back in the year 2013, I think that we can look back and see that, yes, God's blessing has been on us. And it's not that we have done everything perfectly. And there may have even been some things in there that happened that were punishment from the Lord in in the last six years. But what I would like to urge you to consider now is that as we look ahead to 2013 and beyond, that if we want the blessing of the Lord, what do we do? We humble ourselves and we honor him. We follow him the way that his word teaches us to follow him. And then he will bless us because God honors those who honor him. So do we want the Lord's blessing on us? In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus told us there how to get the blessing of the Lord. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We want blessing from God, we seek Him, we honor Him, we obey Him. And then practically speaking, I thought we should end with this. How do we do that? Let's say that, well, yes, I want to honor the Lord. How do we do it? Well, the simple answer is we do it by daily walking with Jesus. Now, it's a simple answer, but it's also the difficult answer. It's like the question, how do you train for a marathon? Well, you train, and 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 then you train some more. It's, it's a simple answer, yet it's really hard to do, and I've never done it, and I never hope that I will do it, <laughs> training for a marathon like that. It's difficult to live that out, yet it's a simple answer. And I think it's the same thing with our faith. How do we honor God with our whole lives? We daily walk with Jesus. Every day, even moment by moment, you could say, we walk with Jesus. And as we do that, as we surrender our wills to His, He teaches us how to honor Him. 23 times in the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me. Why do you think He said it so many times? I think it's because He meant it and because He wanted people to follow Him. Now, we don't physically walk around with Jesus, but spiritually we do. We follow Jesus with humble hearts before him, submitting our wills to his, recognizing that he's the Lord, and if he tells us to go there, we go there. We honor God by following Jesus. And then one other way that we honor the Lord, and this won't be a surprise for many of you to hear coming from my lips, we should get to know God's word. What was Saul's problem in these chapters? God told him to wait for Samuel in chapter 13, and he didn't. God told him to destroy the Amalekites totally in chapter 15, and he didn't. Twice, Saul rejected the word of the Lord. What about us? 
Are we people who are going to humble ourselves before God's word, recognizing that he has desired to show us how to honor him and to live for him in his word? His word teaches us the way to go. Will we daily submit ourselves to him with an open Bible and saying, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God shapes us and transforms us as we submit humbly to his word. And by the way, it's not just a matter of reading it. It's not just a matter of putting the information in our brains. It's a matter of submitting our hearts to what the word of the Lord says. And if we do that, God's blessing will be on us because God honors those who honor him. Now it takes effort and commitment. It takes a a heart that is fully committed to the Lord. But why would we want it any other way? We need to honor the Lord by obeying Him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for how you lead us. We're so grateful that you are our Lord because that means that we get to have a relationship with you. That our sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ for all of us who have humbled ourselves and received Jesus We know that blessing of of forgiveness and that you long to lead us the rest of our lives. But God, if we're honest with you, sometimes we waver in our commitment to following you. So God, today I pray that you would strengthen us to follow you. Saul strengthened himself to follow his own ways, God. I pray, instead of that, that we would humble ourselves and that you would strengthen us to follow your ways. Lord, I pray that we would honor you by obeying you, that we would submit our wills to you and recognize that you are the Lord of our lives and that we would follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.